How's it going, everybody? This is an episode of Just Another Podcast, episode 29, almost there, 30. Next week will be 30. Um, this week, I have a good friend of mine uh, in the Maine Brewing industry, Sean Sullivan. He's the executive director of the Maine Brewers Guild. The Maine Brewers Guild is a nonprofit organization that helps support us as breweries in the state. I work for Bornell Brewing Company as a general manager and designer. Um, but Sean works with all the over 100 breweries we have in the state. And this year has been a little bit different for him. Uh, COVID-19 pandemic has obviously not been immune uh, to the brewing industry. So he has had to work a little extra hard to figure out inventive ways to do his job. So in this episode, we talked the Maine Brewers Guild uh, Collaboration Beer 2020. Uh, 39 different breweries collaborated together to make this beer. Uh, each brewery made their own and released it to the state. Uh, we talked about how the COVID-19 pandemic has hit the brewing industry and what Sean has done otherwise uh, to help support Maine breweries, uh, both in the legal sense and in the moral support sense and et cetera. So Sean joined us today for a little conversation about the Maine brewing industry and COVID-19 pandemic's effects on it, as well as this uh, nice, cool collaboration beer uh, that I'll be drinking on the podcast, you'll see. And so enjoy this podcast, Sean Sullivan, Executive Director of the Maine Brewers Guild. Enjoy, everybody. Sean? It's going pretty well. Monday morning. It's uh, raining, I guess, Monday afternoon. But uh, here we are. It's getting to be December. I was going to say uh, uh, Monday afternoon because I am drinking a beer and I don't want people thinking that I'm drinking it at <laughs> 9 o'clock in the morning. I've got my uh, kombucha going, but I've just finished up a lunchtime run here. So I'll get there. I, 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 you know, I'm a reasonable person. I give it to at least 3 p.m. At least 3 p.m. It's funny because I do these recordings on Mondays and I, I, I always tend to have a beer during it. And I'm always like, yeah, it looks sure. so weird because like, I, I don't drink at one o'clock in the afternoon normally. But, you know, <laughs> every Monday it basically has now become a tradition to drink at one o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. It's the flow of the week. Uh, and it seemed like you could have done it with working from home with the COVID situation. You could have been able to, like, we could have fallen and slipped and been like, ah, four o'clock. Ah, uh, three o'clock. Ah, uh, two o'clock. Yeah, noon. <laughs> it's but. it's true. I think I think everybody's expectations for themselves of what their life would be like if they worked from home. As somebody who's worked from home for a long time, versus what it's actually like. You know, the vision of like I'm just gonna put my favorite show on in the background, or I'll have music playing, or I'm gonna have a beer at lunch. It everybody just ends up having to do the same stuff they do just in a different location, and I think it's maybe more romanticized or uh, perhaps the exact opposite than what the reality is. So I, I learned that I didn't move as much. Like, so I, for when order brewing company closed in mid March till like we opened July 1st, I worked mainly from home um, doing stuff behind the scenes. And I felt like two or three weeks in, I was like, okay, I need to start getting up in the morning and actually taking a shower like in the morning and not waiting till two o'clock in the afternoon. I started being like, oh, I need to put clothes, like actual clothes on, not just like gym shorts and a t-shirt. Like I was like, okay, put jeans on and I get dressed like you're going to go to work because at some point you have to get up and actually go into the office. And at that point, you're going to be like, oh, I have to put regular clothes on again. So like now it's like I did do most of work from home with full clothes, like fully like jeans, t-shirt. I even sometimes yep. put my hat on to make it like seem like I was actually going to work. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Heather uh, Firth and I talk about how Sometimes working from home, time moves faster. Um, yeah. Like when you're like getting stuff done because no one's bothering you. And mm -hmm. I look at the clock and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's six o'clock. That's not good. Yeah. Whereas at the office yeah. at like one o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, it's time to go home, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally hear you. It's a, it's a different, it's a different uh, shift for sure. I've got my having for me, the change working from home was, uh, my wife's a teacher and we've got a two and a half year old who's in daycare. And so once the school season, school year started again in September, that's when, you know, we're up at six, we're out, the, she's out the door at seven, taking the kid to daycare. I take them on Wednesdays. And so just figuring out that routine has definitely helped me get back into a more normal cycle. But yeah, Fitbit, also a watch, uh, some sort of smart watch to tell you to keep moving. Cause that's how you started. That's been so helpful to, 
you know, reality check. Got to keep moving. Because I felt like, I mean, it, you, you've, you know, Ornell Brewing Company is a massive 10,000 square foot building. So I felt like just my office is in one corner, the taste room's in another, the brewery's in another. So it's like, I actually, just to go ask someone in the brewery a question, got a bunch of steps in. So I was able to get the yeah. exercise. My living room or office and my bathroom are like less than 10 feet away from each other. So it's like the get up to move was go to the bathroom and it was 10 feet and 10 feet back. And I was like, yeah, that's not enough exercise. I need to get more exercise. Totally. Totally. <laughs> I mean, I guess for you changing from working from home, like you said, some of that you with your wife working and stuff like that, but it's more what you're doing from home, less what working from home, because obviously things with COVID changed quite a bit in our industry. Um, for most of us, people who work in actual breweries doing the actual brewing can't work from home. First of all, they have to be <laughs> at the brewery, but also the things that we did as the main brewers guild and other breweries, like events and stuff like that weren't able to happen. So you just changed mostly what you were doing compared to what, where you were working. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, the, just the lack of having to plan big beer festivals has freed up a ton of time. And, you know, we usually have a few things going on in the legislature. Um, obviously that has slowed down, but also it's just kind of morphed into engaging with different departments in Augusta to, you know, figure out how brewers can be um, helped and how brewers can, you know, pivot their businesses to keep afloat. Um, so it's definitely changed my role a lot. I'll tell you, it's, it's been great to not have to plan. We did have a big beer fest. We really lucked out um, February 29th. We had a beer fest. Think back to your COVID timeline. That's like two weeks before. And, um, so we were able to get a couple in under the wire before anybody knew this was anything really. Um, and, but haven't had one since. And boy, that's the first of my past seven years of my life. I haven't had to have a big event in the middle of summer. So that was really nice. Did you, I, I, I obviously, Abe is part of that, but Abe sits in his office uh, or in a office separate from us. Like, okay, I got to get on a, a conference call with the Bain Brewers Guild. And so we all either leave the office or let him have his own space in a different office. Um, but do you, did you start planning things that were happening like in the summer or did you basically say at the beginning, like in, in March that you weren't going to be able to do the festival in, in the summer or was there like planning already in place for that? Oh, there was, we had booked venues for both a summer and um, fall event. And we were looking at doing potentially another one. We had a bunch of rentals of the beer box for, you know, a PGA golf tournament, um, fireworks, July 4th kind of celebration. So we were in full planning mode. We had an event scheduled for November. Um, freshman orientation featured the U.S. breweries in the state that we did every year in Portland. So we definitely had a lot planned. We were holding out hope for a long time. Um, but, you know, often it just came to that point where the venue's saying, look, you owe us the, you know, 60 day out deposit beyond what you've already paid. And uh, that's when we decided to pull the plug. And now we're planning and looking at 2021. We're not in planning to have any big events. Um, so it's, it's refreshing in some ways, keeps us focused on our, um, other parts of our core mission, but it's also, um, frankly, it's a little challenging, you know, big beer festivals are the bread and butter for guilds around the country and help to, you know, when brewer donates a keg of beer and you can take that, um, you know, $200 donation and turn it into $500 of ticket sales. It's $500 net to the organization, which goes back to the mission, which helps the brewery. So, um, you know, it's definitely changed our kind of the way we work, but not necessarily in a bad way. Yeah. I mean, I, I prior, I mean, I sat on the events committee for a little while for the main brewers guild yeah. as well. So I was part of some of this original, some of these planning sessions, but before I got into the beer industry, I worked in the concert promotion industry, uh, putting on a festival in, in New Hampshire called soul fest. Um, and that was, you know, day two after the festival ended, it was what's we, what are we gonna do for next year. It's talking to the venue to make sure we have the spot in place, and it's it's all this year in advance thing. Uh, I can't imagine planning an event for 2021, like say February or March, and then having to cancel it again, and then planning something for the summer, and then having to cancel it again. So I feel like we will have a as a whole, not just the brewing industry, a whole year of 2021 with lack of events just because people don't want to put all the effort into planning something they might have to cancel. So I feel like we're just going to have like a moratorium on events 
in 2021 just because people don't want to have it screwed from them again. Totally, totally. There is, and you know, it's for the people's like uh, sanity as well. You know, I'm sure like I, I had concert tickets for some shows this summer and different things that we planned on. And then the artist comes through like, well, do you want to, we're going to do it next year. Do you want, you can, but you can get a refund for your tickets and you're kind of doing that math in your head. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's those events when you have thousands of people in any one place, you get a bunch of alcohol involved, you know, there are a lot of details you got to take care of and it, it takes a lot of work. And what's most important is that the average person who walks through the gate has no idea about all of that work. And that's a good thing because they can just enjoy themselves. And, um, but yeah, as you know, you've been behind the scenes putting on big events. It's, it's a lot. It's, it takes up a lot of time. Like you said, you're not a big organization. I mean, the main Brewers Guild is you and is it Anna? And then that's basically it. Or is there no more Anna either right now? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, um, Anna's no longer with the guild, um, you know, due to COVID, basically. Yep. But, um, and from a job perspective, I should clarify. But, um, yeah, so it's really just down back to one person. You know, this is my, um, been doing this job over seven years, and it started, started as a part-time person. So, when you take away the big major events, it is much more manageable for a single person. Anna was super critical and super helpful. Um, in events amongst everything else involved in, um, you know, running an organization. But um, yeah, anyway. When you, when you don't, when you don't put events on, it is hard to like, it is one of those things that we talked about with Abe and I, Abe Berth and I talk every once in a while too, is like, you know, the guild does so much for breweries that no one really sees. Um, but the money that it raises to do that work that no one really sees is very visual. <laughs> So like the events, the things like that are very out in front and it's big things people think about. I mean, there's groups of people that come into Orono Brewing Company that I see rent the growler bus and drive it, get it driven to Portland to go to things like the beer festivals for the, for the guild, uh, knowing that that's one of the ones they go to every year because they know it funds the help for the breweries. And so it's just kind of funny to see that you're like, oh, no festivals this year. No big deal. It's like, no, 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 no festivals this year means there's a lack of funds that come in that help put on organizations and in your sense it did help and it hurt, not hurt but like it affected someone personally too and so it's uh it sucks that we're all dealing with this now and i just think that hopefully one of these days we'll have another beer festival and people will be really excited because it's like a pause from beer festivals not overloaded from beer festivals a pause and then all of a sudden i know where they're back again and you get to pick which ones you get to go to and all that stuff so that will be exciting when that happens yeah. is <laughs> Yeah, I think there's definitely some still, still some fun events to come. And I know I'm looking, I mean, I'm legitimately looking forward. I totally agree. It's kind of, um, you appreciate, um, you'll appreciate it much more having not had, had them for a year or so. But um, yeah, I think there's many more beer events that will be a lot of fun to come. And so, I mean, just a, so an example, if someone's listening and doesn't know what the guild does like a little bit, just so step back a second, what is yeah. the guild's responsibility to the breweries, to the state, to everything else? Yeah, good question. So we're a trade association. So essentially that means, you know, we're looking after um, a bunch of people who are employed in the same industry. And obviously it's brewing in this case. And we qualify for a nonprofit as part of that. We're not a charity. So if you give money to the guild, you don't get a tax deduction which makes sense because we also do some lobbying as well. Um, alcohol laws, mostly at the state level. So we're involved up in Augusta and just trying to pay attention to what's happening. Everything from, you know, the bottle deposits um, last session, you know, should you pay seven cents? Should a brewer have to pay three cents? How does that all work? A lot of stuff that frankly is pretty boring for your average beer drinker, but may or may not impact them. And um, so taking a step back, the guild's mission is to, promote and protect the main uh, Maine's craft beer industry. So on the promote side, we're putting on events, acting as a spokesperson for the industry. On the protect side, you know, that's working up in Augusta. It's also engaging with the, um, our Congress people as well to kind of advocate for things that will help brewers. And, you know, ultimately I view it more though, so as kind of like the hub of the wheel, if, if each of the breweries are spokes on a, on a bike wheel, um, you know, we want, if they want to connect to another spoke or they're looking for something on the, on the rim, um, we're able to, if they come to us as kind of the hub, um, we're able to kind of point them into right, the right direction. So helping to clarify laws, um, reaching out to, 
you know, liquor enforcement on their behalf or connecting them with a lawyer or an accountant. Um, all those sorts of things are what we're doing. So we're doing all we can to make Maine basically the best state for craft beer um, in the country and one of the top destinations in the world for craft beer tourism. And so those are some goals we established a few years ago, um, really because we feel like with so many small breweries in Maine, um, we knew that bringing people to their breweries, that's how they're making their money, um, which is also a real challenge right now. But um, so we've been really focused on trying to get people when they are visiting Maine to visit a brewery. And if they're, you know, thinking about visiting breweries to put Maine at the top of their list. And it's something that I think that, again, unless you work in a brewery, you may not immediately understand unless you heard this explanation to people. Um, but I hear about the guild, A, because A sits on the board, but B, because it's yeah. part of the everyday life at the brewery. You ask questions on our classifieds and, and board on, on Facebook that are as private for anybody who's in the guild. Um, those kind of things are amazing. Um, but just questions we have, Hey, is it legal for us to do this? Instead of having to try to reach out to some sort of actual politician or someone in someone in the law, we can just post it really quickly and either, you know, the answer really quickly or someone, you know, knows the answer really quickly or someone else in the board knows or the, uh, the um, main brewers guild knows the answer. It makes it so much easier for us to do our jobs. Yeah, that's a goal. You know, it's it's kind of like the grease to keep everything moving forward, basically. And so, yeah, like you said, you know, we've got that private Facebook group just for brewers. So that's like a safe space where they can ask questions and whether it's, you know, I need someone to find me uh, to, to buy labels from that's local for my cans and bottles to, you know, who do you guys call for, you know, drilling out floor drains and it's kind of everything in between. And what's been awesome is, you know, the folks who started the industry in Maine really paid it forward. And sometimes amidst the kind of rapid growth that we've seen in any industry, but here in the beer industry in Maine, a lot of that can get lost. And um, what we've been able to do is kind of keep that pay it forward mentality and that community kind of collaborative spirit alive, even amidst just a an aggressively increasing kind of um, competitive marketplace. So it's fun. I, you know, you get to be the steward of such an industry that represents so many values. I think a lot, a lot of Mainers, you know, hold dear, just kind of like making good products, being honest, you know, being available to meet, you know, not just the product, but the people behind the product. And I think, um, you know, I think that's part of what's attracted so many people to the craft beer industry here in the state. I think 2008, end of 17, or like end of the summer of 17, or it might have been the end of the summer of 18, uh, was the first time I, I was working at the taste room in Bangor for Orna Brewing Company, and someone came in on a beer vacation from Canada. It was strictly <laughs> not to come see Acadia, not to come see Portland, or anything like that. It was like, we're coming to go to breweries. And they had like a the main yeah. Brewers Guild checklist and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah. that is awesome for someone who works in the brewing industry but unbelievably crazy for someone who like loves the state from the day that he was moved here when he was up this area when he was 10 to the idea that there's so much hiking and other things to do in the state that they're coming to the state for drinking beer which was like okay i can work <laughs> in this industry for a long time now i'm all set yeah, <laughs> yeah you know i it's one of the things that's been a, just a huge change um since i started in 2013 if you were talking about beer in the state house people just kind of laugh, you know, that's not a part of our economy. That's like what you do on the weekend. This isn't, we don't need to pay attention to that. But these days, um, you know, both legislators in Augusta, but also tourists from around the world know that, you know, it's a, it's a key part of our economy and not just in an economic sense, but it's the whole new narrative, you know, whole new story that our tourism department is telling people around the world, you know, don't just come to Maine for Acadia and for, you know, lumberjack memorabilia and wallpapered bed and breakfast, you know, and rocky coastlines, there's this culinary scene, there's this beer scene, and it's, you know, in the Western mountains, it's up in the county, it's down right by the border close to Boston, and everywhere in between. And I think that's, you know, I think it's attracting younger people to Maine, frankly, I mean, even I, I know you grew up in my understanding, you grew up in Maine, moved yep. away, came back, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't grow up in Maine. I had no connection to Maine prior to college. And um, I really, I didn't even have a feeling for Maine. I, you know, frankly, I think it's how a lot of people around the country think about Maine. They don't really. 
and when they do, it's, yep, I know it exists. Um, but, it, you know, and when I was graduating college to stick around Maine afterwards, which I did, um, I had a lot of friends who were like, what, what are you thinking? You know, there's nothing to do in Maine, but those same friends now are desperate to get out of San Francisco and New York and are moving to Maine and asking about real estate. And that's been happening over the past three years, just recently accelerated amidst COVID. It, it's, it's one of those things I talk about on the, on the daily basis, honestly, I don't want a brewing company is the idea that we're, we've obviously expanded our distribution into other States now um, that we've announced recently. We were in Massachusetts yeah. and so on, but it's like the talking to other states about beer from Maine. People are super excited in certain states. And in certain states, it's, they're like us. We're, you know, that Maine people like to drink beer from Maine. And so it's like why Maine's brewing industry has, has thrived so well. It's like if it says made in Maine, it's such a bigger thing for them than if it says made in a different state, not to pick on another state. So made in a different state. It's like there's something about Maine being made in Maine. I guarantee you it's not as great as someone in, in Florida for something to be said made in Florida. I, that's just a generic statement, but I'm, it's, I've never heard yeah. of people being like so excited and proud to have beer or anything made in the specific state they live in. Maine has that. And so it's like, it's the, it's, you know, made in Maine maple syrup. You're like, Oh, that's unbelievable. It's really good maple syrup. It's the same thing with beer. Now it's like, you know, our sister restaurant at Woodman's it's extremely hard sometimes for Mark to put on, beer from out of state because of the fact that people come in there who are visiting their kids or dropping their kids off at school at UMO and want a beer that's made in Maine. It doesn't have to be made in Orono. It just has yeah. to be made in Maine for them to like it. So it's fascinating to see how the industry has grown, but it's also totally. like hasn't been taken over by other states coming in. Like there are some good beers in other states, but it's like Maine beer has been able to stay in Maine and, and been successful without the help of other states in a sense. Yeah, I think, you know, it builds on kind of like the heritage that Maine has where we make quality goods here, you know, so I think it starts with that. And that's this, you know, centuries old kind of mantra. And, and then you have people come to Maine, and I think people come to Maine because they want like a real authentic experience, you know, kind of Cape Martha's Vineyard. it's all kind of done up, you know, everything's like, examples of what used to be those villages, you know, with a few exceptions. And, you can really still get some salty characters on a dock in, you know, all over Maine. And you can meet some guys who've spent most of their lives, you know, chopping down trees, you know, up around Katahdin woods and waters. And so I think they look to do what the locals do. And that's one thing that was kind of a surprise to me, um, but direction from the board over the years, early on, they said, you know, I, I said, is our goal to get kind of Bostonians to drink Maine beer? Is our goal to get you know, New Yorkers and people from around the country are gold to get Mainers. And they're like, our primary focus is to get Mainers to drink Maine beer. Because the thought is always that we get so many people coming in and out of here every year as tourists. If they show up and the locals are drinking the local beer, chances are that's what they're going to want to do too. Because they'll follow suit, you know, when in Rome sort of mentality. And while it seems like then some of the international stuff we've done and some of the kind of um, efforts to build a national brand go in the face of that. I think what we've tried to do with our beer scene and our reputation is take that enthusiasm that Mainers have anyway, and then show them, really show them what you're talking about. Show them that people from around the country kind of respect Maine in that way of quality goods, you know, real people. And that then gives them kind of more enthusiasm about where they are, what they're drinking and why the place they live is so special, which, you know, kind of creates sort of an endless feedback loop that, you know, ultimately helps the businesses succeed. And, and this isn't a podcast to talk about how great the main brewers go. Yeah. It's a podcast to yeah. talk about how, how the main brewers go helps, but <laughs> that's a, but because there's a thing that they put out, you guys put out, which is the main, the beer trail in which was a, was a uh, pamphlet for the longest time. Now it's uh, dig more digital now with the check-in from each location with a code and all that stuff. But the number of people who will come to Maine, not just to visit one location, like if you're coming to buy L.L. Bean, you're, you're likely going to hit L.L. Bean in Freeport. You're not going to the outlet in Bangor, Maine. You're likely going right. to L.L. Bean in Freeport. Um, if you're going to come and specifically go to Old Town Canoe, you're going to Old Town Canoe in Old Town, Maine. But for breweries in Maine, it's like they go – from one to another to another to another. It's like the number of people who come into 
uh, or in a brewing company, for example, and have been to Black Bear or have been just the night before in Portland and hitting up some other breweries in Portland and coming up to Orna Brewing Company to check off their list. Hey, you know, that's one of the ways that people always question how can over a hundred and something breweries maintain themselves in the state of Maine. And I think it's because people don't hit one, you hit multiple ones in a day. When you and your wife don't go out to eat, you don't go out to eat and go to a restaurant A, restaurant B and restaurant C in one night. Once every couple of weeks, likely you go out to restaurant B. <laughs> then a couple of weeks right. later, you go out to restaurant A. Maine, it's like, oh, hey, we're going to go get drinks tonight. And you hit four breweries now in one night and yeah. get a couple of beers at each place. And you're excited and you meet new people and see, th- you know, other things. So something about Maine is just, you know, you're not going to just come to one spot either. You're going to hit multiple spots along the way and get the entire experience, get a lobster roll in the, in the, your route, your, 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 your uh, journey. Um, and experience Maine in varieties of breweries too, not just a sole specific type of brewery either. You have different small breweries, large breweries, all that stuff. So there's something about Maine that that speaks to all that. And I couldn't be happier working in a brewery in Maine compared to a brewery in another state today. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It speaks to that collaborative spirit. It's really, you know, I, it's kudos to the Maine brewers because it's really hard to be in a competitive marketplace and still kind of have so much respect and support for your fellow competitors. And knowing that the, you know, um, a tasting room person, something might recommend another brewery. I mean, I have never once in my life finished at a restaurant and then asked the waiter where else I should dine. But I have so many times on vacation, you know, gone to a brewery and said, what's another brewery I should check out. And, Um, So it's part of, I think, kind of like the national culture around craft beer, but I think Maine really takes it to that next level. And and that's what we found too, when you have a brewery that opens up in a really rural location, like maybe at the end of one of our peninsulas along the coast, and then another brewery opens up in that, you know, on that same peninsula. And at first, you know, I think a lot of brewers first reaction is, oh man, I just got my sales cut in half. But what they find is that more people are willing to make the trip down the peninsula and visit two breweries versus just one. So yeah, there's still, that's something you have to steward. And I think it, it speaks so much of the values of the brewers and the people involved in the community that it still exists so vibrantly in our state. It's funny how you mentioned that. Cause I, I used to work for Best Buy. My, my first job as 18 years old was at Best Buy working at Geek Squad. They stole, uh, Circuit City stole me from Best Buy. Basically, one of the employees <laughs> at Circuit City looked at me and said, hey, you want to make more money over at Circuit City? And I was like, yeah, sounds good. So like, that's another thing is like, we're, we're collaborative as breweries. We're not, if someone applies for a job at another brewery, that's fine. It's, it is what it is. Right. But if no one, none of us are going or most of us aren't going to another brewery and be like, hey, come work for my brewery. Whereas Best Buy and Circuit City, same thing. And again, on the same line you were talking, I wasn't going, hey, do you think I should buy this stereo system over at Circuit City when I was at Best Buy? It just doesn't work right. that way. I mean, even right. somewhat in the wine industry is not as, as, as collaborative as the beer industry, whereas on the guild almost daily, the guild private board, almost daily you see someone, hey, can I buy 20 pounds of something off of you and I'll pay you back when I get it back or whatever. In the wine industry, you're not seeing, hey, can I borrow some grapes from your vineyard? <laughs> We're a little short right now. It's not going to happen. And so- we're all obviously looking, uh, we, you know, business, this is all business. None of this, none of our breweries are nonprofit. We're looking to yeah. turn a profit, but in the same sense, we know if everybody else is successful, then we're going to be successful along the way as well. Uh, yeah. and if we all do, most of us do the right thing, uh, treating our customers well, making quality beer and, and, and keeping the state of Maine's beer industry, um, positive, then we're all going to be great about it. And that's something that I feel like this collab, um, shows, I mean, you know, to touch on this collab here in a second is when we, when the COVID pandemic hit and we all, uh, the guys from other half, the people from other half, I should say, um, put together the all together beer, which is really cool. You know, all of us who work in the, in the service industry can get behind that. It's easy something for you to get behind thousands of breweries across the state could get behind it because we all know the impacts of the COVID on the service yeah. industry. Yeah. When black is beautiful got made. Okay there's a good portion of us who are like, okay, yeah, definitely. We can jump on board with that a hundred percent. That's an easy thing for us to just, you know, we're already saying that everybody should be loved equally. We already love all the service industry. But then when the guild comes out and says, let's make a beer again, you have to be believing into what the guild's going to do for you to actually participate and actually say, this is what, this is not something as simple to get along with. 
as all together and black as beautiful was because again those are pretty obvious things we should be getting along in this was cool to see what 39 breweries yeah participate in this knowing that it's going to help further the future of the main brewing industry um through this hiccup year of 2020 uh how did this come about yeah good question so um We've got some folks who own hop farms here in Maine and also um, represent a West Coast hop farm. And they said, look, you know, we know how Maine brewers are doing. We're out trying to visit them, you know, all the time. And um, we really want to do something we could help. Can we, you know, could we offer you some hops or, you know, how could we make this work? And then at the same time, we had a couple other folks like the folks up in, um, Mapleton, the county at Maine Malt House saying the same kind of thing. Hey, we're, you know, we're looking at 2021. We've been talking to a lot of our brewers, a lot of our brewer clients and, um, you know, is there something we can do to help the guild, help our brewers? And so we, I don't brew beer. I'm not a professional brewer. I don't own a brewery. I don't work for a brewery. I've never worked for a brewery. And um, so it's cool to think we had hops and we started kind of toying at different ideas. We could raffle off some donated hops. We could, you know, I don't know what we could, we could break them into um, clone recipes that home brewers could buy to try and create favorite main breweries or beers rather. Um, but ultimately we decided a collaboration brew, but then you're kind of wrestling with how do you do a collaboration brew, which tr traditionally is like one brewery shows up to another brewery's brew house and literally brews it with them side by side obviously that was going to happen we looked at examples like black's beautiful all together and you know really what they did is they created a recipe and said you know if you want to brew this recipe or very close to and donate a portion of proceeds back to this cause that we're focused on then um you know that's kind of the goal here so with the collab beer um you know the thing that's interesting we've been talking a little bit about the guild but the when we talk about the guild, I don't necessarily need the guild to be a brand itself, nor do we necessarily want a, the guild to be a brand in itself. Um, we just want it to be the spotlight that shines on the breweries that are our members. Um, there's not a huge amount of value in like a trade association brand, at least in my opinion. And we've talked a lot about this on the board, but um, so long story short, I think we decided to brew this collaboration beer to kind of celebrate that collaborative spirit. And I think as everyone's kind of socially distanced, but thinking a lot about their friends and the good times and looking forward to getting back together, we thought it kind of uh, captured, you know, perfectly this notion that we can each do these things while we're not with one another, but then we can share and celebrate it in a safe way um, in a socially distanced way thereafter. So we ended up with an awesome fresh IPA recipe where we had board member brewery, brewers, the actual brewers themselves. Not all of our board members are actually brewers themselves. They might be brewery owners or key employees, um, but they all hopped on a Zoom call, looked at all the potential hops that could be donated, the malts, the grains, and um, ultimately came up with this recipe that while it's the same for everybody, the breweries are using their own house yeast and they're also using their own base malt. So it's kind of, um, you know, the analogy I've been drawing, it's like if you give grandma's apple pie recipe to five friends, you know, but they each make their own crust and some might go a little heavy handed on the cinnamon, others not so much. They're all going to taste different, but there's going to be the core of something that's the same. And that's what's, that's what's going on with this beer. It's, it's really cool. So Crosby hops, uh, it, yep. and, uh, yeah, which is Maine, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, Crosby hops is actually, is actually out in West coast. They're actually, okay. um, out, yeah, but they, they have, uh, the hop yard too. They don't own it, but the same guys, okay. because our main hops can only grow so yeah. much, uh, yes. they represent year round hops with Crosby. So Crosby, Yakima Chief, there's Maine Mall House uh, up in Northern Maine. Uh, Blue Ox yep. also participated. Is that right? Yeah, then, Blue Ox uh, also donated some grains too. Yeah. And I know uh, Amherst Labels gave us uh, a deal on printing labels as well. So, Yeah. So then, you know, we started telling some of our, um, you know, allied members, the folks who aren't the brewers, but um, are involved and support our industry and Amherst Labels out of New Hampshire reached out and they're like, hey, we'll run, you know, basically these labels at cost for just about every brewery and we'll 
um, you know, even ship back some money to the guild for any brewery that works with us on them. So I love the label art. Shout out Parker Olin, Parker Olin yeah. from Massland. And man, he is making some killer stuff. I've already had like five emails. Are you selling t-shirts? Are you selling hats? And we thought about it. We're not planning on it right now, but we do think we're going to do another collab year too in 2021. Both. Mark uh, Parker is, I am, first of all, it's really annoying because I have a person that works in the brewery's name's Parker, but also I communicate <laughs> with Parker Olin a lot from Mass Landing. Uh, Parker and I yeah. go back a couple of years, basically since the beginning of me working at Orno Brewing Company, Parker and I have been in communications and good friends. Um, we both designers, uh, the label designers for our breweries. And so, but it's funny, I, I showed this to my, uh, uh, the, my man, I, so I'm general manager of Orno Brewing Company now, my taste room manager, excuse me, Cassie. And I said, uh, hey, look at this new can. It's pretty cool. And she goes, oh, it looks like a mass landing can. And I was like, that's pretty funny how you're getting the design sense out of that. Um, but that Parker is such a – and his cans are so amazing. There's not a can that he's ever put out that hasn't been, like, you know, noticeable. Uh, he does great work for mass landing. So it was really good to also see a main designer do this. Um, one of the things that I had brought up to, to Abe as well at some point, it would be kind of cool to see all the non-brewery employees <laughs> – uh, designers across the state to put in an idea for next year's collab to say that someone else that's not part of the brewery industry gets to get collab uh, design the the label. But um, I'll, but I like not that concept. I like Parker's. And worth mentioning, OBC's labels are absolutely killer as well. And but you know, I mean, that actually thinks and that that actually reminds me just of another thing I think is important about is the fact that every brewery is putting it out with this label, the same label. I mean, you know how much just like you're mentioning in your story, you know, mass landing labels are pretty easy to recognize on the shelf. A main beer company label looks very different than an Orno Brewing Company label yeah. looks very different, um, you know, than a Mason's, than, you know, a tumble down and everything in between. And the fact that they're all willing to do it with just a small black and white logo from their brewery on the corner really speaks to kind of the understanding that, you know, craft beer is still such a small part of the overall beer market and there are bigger fish to fry than just, you know, your hometown uh, next door neighbor competitor. So yeah, it's really cool. I like the idea about the uh, label. Do you know Geary's did that for a number of years with Mecca? Oh really? Oh nice. I yeah, didn't know that. No. Yeah. They, they put out for their summer ale logo. They do a contest every year and they offer a small scholarship for the winner. So maybe there's something we could do um, in that regard. And there's a lot of people who would just like to have their artwork featured. So it's not like, you know, I don't yeah. like, there are breweries in Canada that, that have like um, different artwork on all their cans. They do pay those artists, which is amazing because I feel like that, that's necessary. If you have someone design your artwork, you pay it. But it could be something along the lines of a, a Mecca uh, giving someone a scholarship or even just a small fee or just say, hey, would you like to, here's a small fee, but you have the option to donate that back to the Brewers Guild to have your, you know, artwork designed on there it may lead to other customers or whatever i mean for for me before i worked as a brewery as a designer i would have just loved to be able to do the work so that thousands of cans across the state had my design on it um as a donation to the guild um but it's pretty cool that parker i mean obviously parker and it also has the new uh it's hard to see because of my lighting but the new main brewers guild logo on it too yep the updated logo yeah the vintage one behind you <laughs> <laughs> which I need, yeah, I need to update on my, uh, on my banner here. I totally agree. I think, you know, this is one of the shifts though, that our industry I think has made for good reason over the past, um, you know, five, 10 years is it's really a lot of our brewers start out as kind of bootstrapped operation and the guild. When I started, like I said, a part-time kind of thing, um, it, it gets to a point where I do think it's really important to frankly, even stop asking people to, you know, design a label for you for us it was like event posters and things and so we've really made a concerted effort over the past few years to say like look you know here's what we're looking for what are your rates we'll pay you for your work and occasionally we still get someone proactively you know parker in this instance said yeah. i want to do this i love the guild you know can i can i throw you a few mock-ups and get some feedback on it but i totally hear you justin um you know why we love to still get some help i think it's I think it's important for our industry as we mature too to make sure that we're willing to, you know, pay pay for good work. I mean, it's what we're doing with our craft beer. You can get cheaper beer in Maine than OBC than any yep. other, you know, Maine brewery. But um, you know, you got to know the effort that goes into it, and um, it, it, we are beneficial. It. Some of us, some of our breweries, uh, Mass Lang as one, and our brewing company is another. We 
you know, talking about myself, but we hire, we, uh, we employ um, people in-house to do the labels. That's not the same for some of these other breweries across the state, which is nice. So Parker clocks in in the morning at mass landing and he's designing labels and doing things, things like that for the brewery. So this is just part of his daily work. Yes. If someone was doing that above and beyond, you could ask some of these people donating hops or whatever. Hey, can everybody throw in 25 bucks extra as well? And that pays to the designer of the label or something along those lines, but, but bringing it out to the people across the state, there's so many good talented artists. It could be someone who drew one painted one or whatever it may be. Uh, and then uh, ask to, you know, people could vote and all that stuff. I think it's just kind of a cool idea that, that could go into it. Um, obviously if Parker wants to do it every year, I'd absolutely be okay with Parker doing it every year. Cause this is amazing. Uh, <laughs> and I'll throw out Ben Bishop at uh, who does Mason's cans. Uh, ben Bishop's a good friend yeah. of mine. He's an amazing artist out of Westbrook. So he could also help with that likely. Um, but the idea that it's the same label for everybody and a lot of our breweries, including my, our, us, we have a template. We mock up every single label that Orner Brewing Company puts out for the most part has the hop in the middle with the wording across it, you know, so on and so forth. Our labels all look the same with variations to make sure people know it's our beer. But we were able to and say, this is an Orner Brewing Company beer. We'll modify it and just put our logo on the side because this is a collaboration that we're all doing together. Uh, same thing yeah. we did for All Together Beer and same thing we did for the uh, Black is Beautiful. We're okay making slight modifications for something for a good cause or for something specific. Uh, I also, as a designer, respect that Parker made this label the way it was supposed to be made, that I did everything I was supposed to do, which is put the type of beer and the ABV at the bottom and put my logo here and our address on here and be done with it so that I'm not screwing with the label that he designed. Um, but yeah, totally so it's an awesome, cool thing. And I think you could do a whole, and it's tough with the podcast, but you could do a whole um, episode on just kind of beer art generally. And it's something that really intrigues me too. Um, I wonder though, from your sake, and you know, you mentioned yeah. kind of having some sort of uniform marker amongst all your cans, which I can totally pick out um, for Orno. But where do you think beer is going? I mean, where do you think in 10 years? Because I kind of, I look at the wine racks in the stores and I've been kind of like, even at a Hannaford, and I'm no wine connoisseur, but they haven't really adopted the kind of like crazy bright labels in the same way that beer has. And we have outliers too, like a main beer company that looks much more like a wine label, but beyond just the art itself, I also think, you know, every time we do one of these with main malt house or blue ox or, you know, a fresh chop beer, I wonder if beer is going to head towards this connection to place in the same way that wine does and how main may, may benefit from that. But, you know, big picture. I'd just be curious to know, where do you think beer is going to be in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years? It's like, what, where does this market that's still growing so quickly settle? I don't have an answer for you in that sense, but like, I know that when I went, so the, there was this gap in time during this COVID time where I felt a little bit more com comfortable moving around the state and moving around <laughs> doing different things. Um, uh, I was lucky enough because I got married in the middle of that. So that was perfect. I got engaged last year and I was able to have my wedding in, in August, which just seemed like it, things were getting better in August. So we could really have a small wedding, but in uh, beginning of October, before this little surge happened that we're going through right now, I was able to visit my parents in Connecticut. Um, and when we were down there, we um, socially distanced and with masks on visited a place called total wine, which is a massive beer mm. and wine store in Connecticut. And, I just wanted to watch my parents from the corner of my eye, how they were going over to recommend a beer to me to buy. So like I was buying some Connecticut breweries to, to see what I wanted. Uh, I didn't have time to visit a bunch of different breweries. So I was like, I'll just go to a beer store and pick it all out. So in my mind, I was looking, my parents were just looking for cans that looked good, had nothing to do with the style of beer or the brewery it came from or whatever. It was a visually attractive can on the shelf that pulled them mm -hmm. towards it. Uh, my brother's a basketball fan. They had Dream Team, which is um, Lone Pines beer. That was on the shelf. He went directly towards that because it had that homage to, to be the NBA Dream Team. So I, I, I think it's still going to stay in that aspect of having visually attractive cans that just mean something. I do think there's a, there's a borderline now with um, a little bit too much intellectual property ripoff. Um, in a sense, I think there's a... I believe it's a borderline, it's a line that you can go to and not cross, that there is this homage aspect to it where you're like paying homage to 1990s video games or yeah. whatever it may be. But then I've seen some Instagram posts of people who literally take the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and put it on a can 
and say this is a beer to put out there and it's like no that's like stealing from someone else so there is a the line in your artwork that creates it um i don't know i, I think there's a part of it that it's something with the beer shelves nowadays there's so many breweries on one shelf you have to figure out a way to determine how people are going to buy your can and separate yourself from anybody else um without tasting the beer um and, yeah. and part of that is the styles i mean my style versus mass landing and parker style versus ben bishop style are all different so how am i going to be able to pull someone in to grab a beer that i designed or i'm trying to sell um i think it's still going to have that that off the wall try to figure this thing out but like it's it i mean but the thing i love main beer companies can't uh, uh, bottle labels as well because they're simple i'm always going towards the idea that the simple is better less text is better less this is better we're, we're hopefully going to do something for our anniversary uh in, in december and i'm thinking like no i want the most simple can possible and it's not to make my life easier but it's because it looks cleaner on the shelf like this looks so clean on the shelf that it's, it's gonna draw me in because it's not a lot of clutter on there i can tell the style of beer i can tell the abv and uh those are kind of things that i think the future is going to still have um i don't i it's hard to say i i honestly don't have an answer for you because it's it's I think part of the fun for me being a designer in the beer industry is to make something like someone come up in the, the, the bar or owner brink come and be like, Oh, that's such a badass can. Thank you. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be like, thank you. You want me to autograph it for you? But it makes it, that's what I live for. That's what I go for. It's totally. my favorite thing is to someone say, Hey, you know what my favorite label in the state of Maine is X, Y, and Z. And it's my label. Yep. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So <laughs> it's more asking. So I would bet that, that question would be better asked to someone like doing a design a beer can design podcast is one thing I want to yeah. do with Parker. Honestly, I have it yeah. for 2021. Nice. But adding someone in there that's not in the design industry, like not someone in can design, someone who's just a beer drinker <laughs> to talk their aesthetic, what they think that we call the beer industry too. But And I think, the, you know, the other thing that I think is interesting that might change too, I mean, a lot of what you're talking about with the pop culture references and things, I do think is speaking to kind of this like, late 20s to early 40s kind of market which i think has been growing with craft beer or has been kind of the primary focus but as i'm traveling around the state i'm sure you see it too just at opc and elsewhere and not just visiting parents um you know who are stopping by the school but retirees who are like you said who have come to maine to visit a bunch of breweries and everywhere they're traveling around in their rv or you know uh Ford Crown Vic, it, they're, they are visiting breweries. And so kind of like who is that craft beer customer, I think is really changing too. And that creates new opportunities for breweries. And I think also just for whole new brewery businesses to be established as well. I mean, I'm not seeing a lot of like 50s, 60s, or even frankly 70s, 1970s nostalgia, pop culture references on cans with a few exceptions but maybe that will change. And will it also get cut off at the kind of early 2000s level or in the, are the I, I wonder now with the two and a half year old, is he gonna be drinking beer or is he gonna be drinking seltzer or um, a mix of everything? You know, or, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, so. if you think about what, what you're saying there in an aspect of it, if you think broader for New England, you talk about your biggest, you know, your big humongous all-star breweries in this in this new england area um you have your trilliums your tree houses even main beer companies they have very simplistic looking cans in a sense like they're very clean they're very noticeable but there's not a lot going on on them i mean if you look at like a lot of the core products for treehouse it's a colored can with their tree logo on it and their name and a cool script font for trillium for an example in, in boston area they have a very simple like sketched out very simple lines on a gray can with the word trillium on it and their wording on it um, main beer company again a white label with the simple so it could gear i mean gear towards that i mean i think part of it could be not just the company the brewery but more the style of beer that you're making like if you're making a stout or a brown or a red ale it may need to have that you know <laughs> 60s 50s 60s 70s style to it so that it goes to the people who are drinking beer from that era because if you think about your new england style ipas and your ipas are more you're 22 23 24 all the way up to 35 40 years old that's the people who are drinking the ipas where if you're anybody over 40 they some of them do but my best friend my best man my wedding 
hated IPAs for the longest time until he started drinking more of them. He's still a big stout person, but he was born in the 60s. So like, yeah, he's going to go towards a can that attracts him. If he had some sort of 60s reference on it or 70s reference on it, in all likelihood, he's going to pick that can up and go, oh, sweet, it's a stout, and be happy yeah, with yeah. it. So it may not be the actual brewery per se, but it may be the style that changes and the, the IPAs still have the cool, colorful cans. Stouts have, you know, something, you know, it's, it's simple. Cause I mean, even people like our friends at Bissell, but they just, they created a great brown ale that just came out. It's like, those are guys are traditionally New England style IPA since the beginning yep. and have a classic yeah. good brown ale out. It's showing that they're also, there's some other people out there that want to buy their beer. They're like, okay, now totally. we have some time to make a brown ale, which is pretty cool. So I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it's, the future could be the style, not the actual brewery making different can changes. Um, but it's also cool in the state of Maine. You see a way variety of styles of beer. I mean, um, can styles and, and bottle styles. There's styles that are simple, simple, simple. And there's ones that are crazy off the wall. And it's really cool for me as a designer to see that. I mean, I do go for a lot of times what the beer can looks like before I do the taste of the beer. I'm usually disappointed yeah. if I, if I take the beer and I'm like, Oh, that's just, that one's not for me. But the can label is awesome. I'm like, oh, God, why did it was under the home run? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a but, book by its cover kind of situation. How many breweries are in the state of Maine now? Do you do you have that number off the top of your head? Yeah, we've got yeah, it's like one fifty-three is the latest. Um and that includes, you know, like we see places with multiple locations. So yeah. each of those locations count because they each have to be licensed as a brewery. But that helps us to show that's how we've always done the count because even though some breweries are opening up multiple multiple locations, it speaks to kind of the growth more broadly of the industry so yeah but what's cool is um and i gave a little chat for our chamber of commerce here with some stats um and i actually had a bunch developed for this um, beer conference that we do in february but didn't get to present them but what's been interesting is that the total quantity like in a gallons basis of beer sold per brewery has stayed about the same, which is to say more people are drinking beer and more beer is being consumed overall. Um, and where that growth is coming from is that, you know, people aren't buying as many 30 packs anymore from Bud or 30 packs of Bud Light. They're buying a four pack from their local brewery and maybe a, you know, 12 pack of a kind of main, a main brewery that sells their beer at Hannaford in a mixed pack sort of thing. So there's less beer, you know, potentially overall being consumed from Bud Miller, but more beer being consumed by craft. So it's the market is kind of accounting for the growth, which is really encouraging. You know, as we get close to finishing up this episode, I just wanted to, one of the things I was thinking about, I mean, as I progressed through this episode, I started thinking that I'm actually pretty proud of how the brewing industry has survived um, this crazy 2020 that there are there have been some casualties that we're you know sad about the fact that some breweries have closed um in 2020 um but the idea that most of us have figured out or not figured out been lucky enough i should say not figured out but lucky enough to be able to shift our our focus and shift our plans for 2020 to be able to succeed or even just break even with last year <laughs> um with the growth of the brewing industry in the state of Maine during this crazy pandemic, there's breweries that have opted to do delivery. There's breweries that have opted to hire delivered companies like Carhop. And there's breweries who have decided to just do pickup or so on. Looking down at the year, now looking back to March, there are definitely fewer breweries in my mind that have closed or had to close, like had to force their way towards closure um, than I expected it to be. Like you're not saying that no one was immune or everybody's, you know, there's, I wasn't expecting specific breweries to close, but just in general, like I'm actually pretty surprised and pretty happy with that. The way that the trend of the brewing industry in the state of Maine has been able to stay afloat and still be a successful industry in the state of Maine um, due to the COVID pandemic. Um, are you, I mean, obviously you work with every brewery basically across the state. This is, it is pretty impressive to see that we still have been able to fight through this, this crazy 2020 year. Yeah, I definitely agree that, um, there are there have been fewer closer closures than I anticipated in say early April. Um, it's it's been kind of bittersweet. I will say that while that definitely is true, there are still you know a good number of breweries which are really in a tough situation right now. And I think 
what's important for people to remember, and, and this isn't, isn't specific to just the beer industry, but you know, uh, thinking about Maine's beer industry, it's true as well. There's so many people. So one, a lot of the people who are opening up breweries um, aren't are not like Heather and Abe, where they you know have a little bit of business experience. They've already run their own business. They're still young, and they open up a brewery. It's more often these days a you know a group of people sometimes related, sometimes not, in their kind of 40s, 50s, this is a second or third career. And they're entrepreneurs. They're, they're trying to start this business. It's their first ever business. And so they've made a lot of decisions based on the direction their business was heading. And any business at the end of 2019 looked back and said, I'm growing, the economy's strong, you know, we're moving forward. And that's a great time, particularly when you're in a manufacturing business like a brewery where you invest in more equipment. You know, you're buying that canning line, you're buying that new tank, you're building the new tasting room, whatever it might be. But um, then with COVID hitting, you know, a lot of there are a number of breweries who kind of made that decision using strong business fundamentals, but now in a position where they haven't been able to support that growth. And, you know, that's that's really um, tough to hear from those folks and you know put yourself into their shoes who frankly have done everything right but have been hit in the wrong way by covid um at the same time like you said that this kind of adversity has created an enormous amount of pivots and you know there was a um inscription on a wall in in Pompeii where Vesuvius erupted, you know, and this is like 2000 years ago. And somebody had wrote that was saved, you know, don't drink the wine here, it's watered down, go down the road. And what that says to me is people were going out to have a drink 2000 years ago. We've been through a lot since then. People are going to still want to go out and have a drink. People are still, you know, drinking beer, finding their local breweries. And a lot of our breweries have spent the past three to five years building up that reputation in their small town as like the community gathering place, as a place where your nonprofit can do their fundraiser, you know, as the donor to any charity in town that's doing a raffle, they'll donate something. And a lot of that good karma, so to speak, has um, now come back to those breweries. And, you know, I do hear a lot of really encouraging stories. So I think way of saying, you know, um, those who have gotten through, and I think part of the result we're seeing of fewer breweries closing than anticipated, is that these small towns have really shown those breweries um, how grateful they are for those brewery owners and those people working at those breweries being such good actors in their communities. And, you know, opening up that place on Main Street and keeping it, you know, run cleanly and um you know supporting the local community so that's really positive it makes me you know feel really good about our industry and then still thinking about the opportunities for agriculture for tourism and all the other um, areas that we're starting to connect to the one over covid has been outdoor activities and you know obc's all i did a mountain biking event with obc like the year you guys opened and that was awesome always trying to connect to the outdoors but um, a lot of people now who are looking to get outside, realizing that the only thing in the area is a little brewery and finding a welcoming community there. So th there's still room for it. It's going to be a bleak winter, but oh, wow. um, grateful for all the people still supporting Maine breweries. And I will say that it did benefit a lot of us in the state of Maine that this happened when it happened for the initial rush. Like the fact that we closed in, in March and that summer was the, the, the time where we were able to open back up a little bit and do a little bit more service. <laughs> Um, having it be the summer was helpful to a lot of breweries across the states. Our state, I mean, if we were to, this were to happen at the end of July and so through winter, there might've been a different effect on it. The weather did definitely help um, a lot of us breweries across the state. But uh, I will say that I saw on one of the groups on Facebook on is that this person usually put out a list of their favorite beers to drink for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. And they opted to not do that this year. They said, you know what you should do? is you should go buy a beer from a place that you would not want to be without in this world. So if you go to a specific brewery in your town that you know, doesn't matter what beer it is that they have, buy that beer from that brewery because if you don't want to have them no longer there anymore, that's part of the list. And I thought that was one of the greatest things that someone could say Love because, it. because I'm it's, if take you don't want to be without them, do it. it, it it's, it's, if you don't want to be without them, buy from them. And that includes, and I will say, that includes package stores and convenience stores and all those places for your local main breweries as well. We all you know, 
breweries still make money if you send it to <laughs> and support themselves if you send it to a distributor and they send it to a store and so on. So if doesn't if you can go to the brewery, obviously go to the brewery. But if you can't make it to a brewery, but yet Whole Foods in Portland or someone like that has your beer, grab the beer from them because it does still support the brewery uh, as a whole as well, and it also supports main economy as well. So it's it's we have a long way to go, but I'm glad we are where we are now and not way as a whole brewing industry in the state of Maine and not way below what we would expect or what we thought may happen uh, back in April uh, when things really started to shut down. Uh, there are some breweries that still need our help, but like as a whole um, brewing industry in the state of Maine, I'm pretty happy where we are at now compared to what we could have been at is my, my, my point recently. But yeah. Yeah. Totally, Justin. I agree. I love that sentiment, and that, I think that's a perfect way of realizing what you have before it's gone. It's just kind of think about the places you'd be so bummed if they were to shut down, and go out and buy a beer from them or whatever it is that they're selling. But yeah, just the the fabric of the community thing. I think it's been so awesome to see how great these brewers have been doing, just as community members. And you know, I know people are grateful for that. So now's the time to show them. And 39 different breweries across the state have this beer. I know we still have it available at our tasting room. We sent it out to our distributor uh, across the state as well. So there, this, this collaboration beer is available at multiple places. Um, 39, you said 39 breweries, right? I read an article too, 39 breweries. Yeah, thir yeah, 39 breweries. Some of them haven't even brewed it yet. So we're asking all of them to release it by the end of the year. So just keep an eye out for that main Brewers Collab 2020 label. And uh, you can kind of spin the can to the side to show who made it. But really cool to try them side by that. side. I've, I've already tried OBCs, Austin Streets, Mass Landing, and uh, I know some more coming down the pipeline this week. I mean, that's cool how you mentioned that, too, because I, I had that thought earlier, too, was the idea about jumping from brewery to brewery. We've had people come into our taste room to try that and be like, I haven't tried yours yet, which is really cool because it adds that aspect of popping from brewery to brewery or going to a place, your local package store to buy all the different brands and doing your own tasting um, and trying all the beers next to each other. Cause obviously, I mean, we use cryo hops in ours and replace the hops that we use with some of the hops that we're donating. So there's this aspect of we were able to use the same hops, but just different styles um, to yeah. try and make ours unique. And so that's pretty cool in that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, it helps support main breweries in a sense, not directly, obviously it does directly because we made the beer, so we have to sell the beer, oh, yeah. but it also helps us support us in the future too. So um, it definitely yeah. is uh, worth trying and, and worth uh, picking up from all the 39 breweries. I mean, that's a good winner if you can try all 39 of them, right? It, absolutely. I mean, how many days of uh, Advent or whatever the, the celebration is? or the... <laughs> And just do all 39, right? I mean, exactly. if we would have done, done this a couple days ago, you could have tried all 39 before the end of the year. With we did think about trying to figure out a way to mix them all together but it's logistically really really yeah, challenging so people have to go poke around and find them and you know i think people will be shocked to see how much of a difference yeast makes in the final flavor of a beer and the base malts and everything because otherwise same hops same grains otherwise specialty malts so yeah it's cool i mean i'm a you know not a beer expert and it's awesome to just be able to try them side by side if we did another one in the summertime and there was a festival, it'd be really cool for people to all have that beer available at the festival so we could all try it from place to place yeah. to place. So Yeah, that yeah, I think there's something there that we got to work on for the future. Fine. And maybe one of these days I'll jump back on that events committee as well. But, you know, living in Orono <laughs> and, and most of the people living in Portland made it very difficult to try to do it on a work day. But now that Zoom yeah. has become very, very easy for people to use, it also makes it a lot easier for that to happen. So maybe one of these days when we can actually have events, I'll jump back on that committee as well. But love um, to have you back, Justin. Awesome, man. I really, uh, one of these days we'll get to have beer together again. It'd be nice. I mean, Look I haven't seen you in person a year. Um, I did meet Sean just quickly at, uh, or I met him prior, but when I really got to see him and hang out with him a little bit was in Iceland. Uh, That's right. Back at the beer box, initial beer box back in Iceland. I actually think I'm wearing, yeah, I'm wearing underneath the. Nice. So I've yeah. still got those shirts. Love it. The main beer Vintage box. Shirt. That's, That's what I knew I was in a great industry. Uh, I went to New York City in May of 17 and Iceland in June of 17 with Orno Brewing Company. I was like, okay, I'm working for Orno Brewing Company for the rest of my life. <laughs> that whole experience was just, I'll never, the whole Iceland thing is just oh, awesome. And, and there's still connections to this day coming through from Iceland. So yeah. I want to bring my wife. We talked about it. I was like, well, when we can travel again, I want to go back to Iceland because of that, 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 time we were out there and it'd be kind of cool to connect with another brewery when we we're out there to do something when we we're out there but 
it will be a couple of years before that because I'm also having a kid here pretty soon. So uh, it, it, that's <laughs> great. Excellent. Well, Iceland now has their own beer trail, which they modeled after they're, ours, and their own Brewers Guild too. Their Independent Brewers Association, both of which were things that we taught them about, and um, they started thereafter, and they started their own festival too. So um, we're still still stay really close to a lot of them. Um, so yeah, you should make your way. Anybody who hasn't been to Iceland, it's as great as everybody. Yes. Exactly. And honestly, it's not as expensive as people try to tell you to do. There's some things that are expensive there, but the actual full on, if you put the whole trip in a whole bag, it's not that as expensive as you thought it would be. So uh, thanks, Sean. I really appreciate you coming on talking to the main beers, uh, Brewers Guild and the collaboration beer. I hope you stay safe. You and your wife and your family are great uh, through the holidays and stuff like that. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, We'll have you again when we can actually talk non COVID things. Uh, in the future and actually have a beer. Maybe we can do this in person. But uh, until then, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Justin. My pleasure. Cheers. Thanks, man.